1: Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women Medical Association, our JOMA podcast.
0: I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I'm a
1: general pediatrician and also proud member of JOMA. And I'm here with another proud JOMA member for at least the second time, Dr. Denise Moses. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this, especially on short notice. I'm going to warn our listeners that you came straight (laughs) out of work And if it comes to data, it's going to be on my shoulders. I am surrounded by papers. I'm going to try the best I can to be the data walk here. So I'm just going to reintroduce you briefly. Dr. Moses, MD, F-A-C-O-G, is a board-certified OBGYN. She received her undergraduate degree at CUNY Brooklyn and a medical degree at SUNY Downstate. She completed her residency at Hofstra North Shore LIJ Health System. She currently works at a private practice located in Queens, New York, called Healthcare for All Women. So here we are back to covid again it's very sad because we did a talk pandemic pregnancy i looked at the date it was end of january 2021 so a full seven months ago and at the end we were like we're almost there it's the final stretch and it
2: wasn't yes (laughs) wasn't slightly disappointing
1: so disappointing it's a very demoralizing time i mean it's kind of like it reminds me of the of the um Uh, Charles Dickens' novel, It's the Best of Time, It Was the Worst of Times, because in the way, it's the best of times in that we have vaccines that, despite what you might be hearing from the media, are very effective at doing what they should have been advertised to do, and that's should, which is to decrease, significantly decrease severe disease hospitalization and death, not just get rid of COVID. This idea that we will get rid of COVID
0: is not happening.
2: Right. COVID is staying. There's no getting rid of it. It's like the flu. It's going to be around for. A very long time. Um, And because it can constantly mutate, the issue is to protect ourselves from getting sick. So the way I talk to my patients is it's not about getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. It's about getting the vaccine or getting COVID. Right. Right.
1: And And when you say mutated, we should be careful not comparing it to the flu and that the flu really mutates at a much more rapid rate and it actually becomes a different strain. COVID is not mutating at that rate, it has what we call variants of concern, the latest, that, well, not the latest, but the one that's sweeping the country is the Delta. And that's what makes it really be a choice of vaccine or COVID at this point.
2: Exactly. That
1: any of the other mitigating strategies that you do, don't hold a candle to the infectiousness of COVID, which is just insanely infectious. Yes. Yes. Right.
2: It's awful. It's awful.
1: Right, and you can still get COVID even if you have the vaccine, which is another important message to get out. And this would be even more true for people who have underlying conditions. Right. I don't have any data on breakthrough infections of COVID during pregnancy.
2: Um, I think there isn't anything out there as of yet. Mm-hmm. Um, anecdotally. From what I'm seeing um, recently, a lot of the patients that we have that are getting COVID are actually unvaccinated Mm -hmm. during pregnancy. Um, But um, we are hearing about breakthrough infractions in general, um, not only in pregnant women, but in the general population. And we know that those um, people that are vaccinated have a less... Um, likelihood of ending up in the ICU, of having severe disease, um, and even death.
1: Right, right. And again, it boils down to understanding that the risks to a pregnant woman of COVID are known and very high. And I think the different position that we're in now than we were back in January is, you know, we said they weren't studied in pregnant women, which is quite unfortunate.
2: That has thankfully changed.
1: Right. Well, we're using it now. So, you know, we have real world experience and I know people want to hear data. So I kind of looked up um, some things. First of all, you have the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I have the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine and I had just printed out. This is a little bit of an older version of it. But if you go to the website Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, Provider considerations for engaging in COVID nineteen vaccine counseling with pregnant and lactating patients. I mean, this is really meant for providers to talk to their patients, right? Um, But it was sent to me, and I have it. (laughs) But anybody can look at it,
2: (laughs) right? Everything the 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 practice advisory that I have is hmm. not that you need to log in for. Anyone can Google it and look for it. So um, it's really the information is out there. The right information is out there. The credible sources are out there. Nothing is is being hidden um, in terms of what our um, guidelines are in terms of what to tell patients.
1: Right. So I want to read what the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine recommends because it's changed. You know, when we did our talk, we had no data back Mm -hmm. in January to base recommendations. We knew that COVID was dangerous for pregnant patients, but we didn't have Evidence that it was safe for pregnant patients. So we were making a risk benefit decision with tremendous uncertainty. I would say we're still making risk benefit decisions with a lot of uncertainty. It's not like we now have certainty. We're not here to tell people, guess what? Now the COVID vaccine is 100% safe for pregnant women. We're not going to say that. Correct. Right. Nothing's 100% safe, first of all.
2: Not 100% in this world. Right. But, okay. but our knowledge is better,
1: but seven months later, it's just seven months later. Right. right. So what they say is the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine recommends that pregnant postpartum and lactating breastfeeding people and those considering pregnancy receive the COVID-19 vaccination. That is so strong compared to the way it was in January, where they said you should have a you know, risk-benefit calculation conversation with your healthcare professional. Big difference. And way big from the World Health Organization saying, well, so get
0: bloody,
1: it. Bloody. <laughs> Everybody should listen to my talk. Our talk together, in January, is called "Pandemic Pregnancy." This will probably be called "More Pandemic Pregnancy." Um, should listen to it and stay to the second fake ending. Of the go past the fake ending and go to the real ending, where yes. we go over the World Health Organization communication fiasco, where they first said we don't oh, recommend it, and oh, again yeah. it, they said it because there was limited data, and then they ended up changing on that, and it was really just a communication disaster because sometimes exactly. we have to make decisions with really very little information and we have to figure out what is the less riskier of two options.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yes, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine came out very strongly in favor of getting the vaccine prior to pregnancy, during, and after pregnancy. Right.
0: And it. I don't believe there's
1: any timing recommendations.
2: No. No, I know
1: kind of obsessed over this
2: uh, yeah it could be given any time during and any time with other vaccines Um, I think um, just one of the major recommendations that have um, affected the women in my care is if they're getting the COVID vaccine then to not get a mammogram right after because it can cause some swelling of the lymph nodes
1: right Right, and again, we are not saying that the vaccine has no side effects or no adverse effects. Of course, it does, and one of those is that lymphadenopathy, which can persist for a while. And so, like you said, that should determine when you get your mammogram. You might want to get your mammogram before if you're due for it, and then get your vaccine.
2: Right. So, and speaking
1: of side effects, the the bleeding. There's a lot of concern about the bleeding. I don't know if you were going to say that.
2: Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to get to, but um, yeah, go ahead. So. Um we have seen uh some cases where women get the COVID vaccine and then um have an irregular menstrual cycle in the month coming um up after that. So um it usually resolves on its own. Um I actually discussed this at the other webinar I did for the college teachers with Dr. Hellman. Um maybe in May. And, uh, you know, we had talked about that as well.
1: And hey, that's up on the JOMA um, website, joma.org. It's all up there.
2: Yes. Yes. And it's recorded and definitely a really good, um, really good one to watch um, in terms of um, help for college teachers, for MIFA attendance, um, just in terms of the information about the JOMA vaccine as relating to those groups of women.
1: Right. Do we know why this occurs?
2: It's probably the inflammation, but it's not totally clear. Because we know that the vaccine causes some uh, amount of inflammation and inflammatory response. We think that could be part of it, but we're not mm-hmm. totally sure.
1: Right. Like we think that the way the vaccine works to create an immune response activates your immune system can also be in the lining of the uterus. Would that be a good explanation? That's what Fair
2: people are um hypothesizing thinking
1: thinking so more importantly how long does it last
2: it's really usually just one cycle mm-hmm. um, as far as i've seen and then it, everything kind of goes back to normal
1: it's interesting because i saw that it the European, affect fertility, and it doesn't affect fertility doesn't
2: and we talk, fertility. we
1: have to not forget to talk about that and again when it comes to fertility there is a specific myth about this incision one about this placental protein and we discussed that in great length On our podcast, on the webinar, had so many different, so we're not, we're not going to duplicate a lot of, you know, what we said already, that would be redundant. Um,
2: I just want to say it cannot cause infertility. It just can't.
1: It just can't. It just can't. But you can understand why the bleeding would make people think that it could.
2: Correct. But one has nothing to do with the other, thankfully.
1: Right. So what I was going to say is the European Medical Association, I think that's what EMA stands for. I might be getting it wrong what it stands for, but I just happened to see that they came out and said, we want warnings for ringing in the ear, which I've heard isn't actually causally associated with the vaccine. We want that on the vaccine handout because we want people to know that it might be associated. And then there was one or two other things. I think lymphadenopathy, I think, or whatever, something else. Um, But we do not agree that we should put up menstrual problems on it. Mm
0: -hmm. And they were
1: not saying there's no menstrual irregularities after. I think they were distinguishing between true menstrual problems and temporary irregularities. Right.
2: Right.
1: And I think the other thing to remember about temporary menstrual irregularities is that stress can cause it.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we always take that into account.
1: Right. So that's really important. A lot of people think oh, something happens after it was because of it. And it might have been a third factor, which is your anxiety about side effects from the vaccine.
2: Because I was thinking it too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's that's true. true for the myocarditis side effect as well. I've heard stories about people going to the hospital with chest pain and being terrified because they had their COVID vaccine. And of course, it wasn't myocarditis. Um, And I think that when we're talking about these side effects, we're being very open and transparent. Back in January, when it first was released, we didn't know this. How do we know that there are these side effects? Because we are monitoring. And we talked about it the last time that we would monitor with the VAERS, which has been so abused, this vaccine adverse events reporting system, abused in the sense that it is a public Database that anybody can write into, and you should write into it. You don't have to think, well, I'm not sure. Could it have been from the vaccine? Maybe yes. No, just report it. That's not your job to figure whether there's causally related. But it will be looked into. It's not like everything reported is causally related. And of course, people talk about how somebody said, I became the great brain hulk after um, getting my vaccine, and they had to call him and say, Are you sure you want to keep this up there? Because anybody can say anything. Yeah. But some of it will be real. And that's cause we have to
2: be serious about this. Like this is something that actually deserves to be serious about. And um, it's, it's really good to see that the more people we vaccinate, the more information we get. Um, And so many people have been vaccinated at this point that we're getting a lot more, a lot more information about what could be a potential side effect, what to look out for, what to expect during that time and how long these side effects can last.
1: Right. And I'm going to give a little bit of the data we have, but the data we have is really just from a small percentage of the people who've been vaccinated Mm -hmm. for the most part. And I think we have to keep in mind that we're giving this all over the world.
2: Right. Um, Another thing I did want to mention is that most of the adverse effects have occurred within the first eight weeks Mm -hmm. of getting the vaccine and in general of getting most vaccines people do not really get side effects from vaccines after eight weeks which is too much right okay
1: that gives me a segue to do the study here I'm going to bring it out okay I have short term reactions among pregnant and lactating individuals in the first wave of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout so, looking at those eight at that eight week period, this is a very early study. Of course, how could it be out here if it weren't early, right? We're only eight months out. Everything's early. Everything has to be early, and it takes Everything time to do early. studies and get in all the you know parts to getting a study and getting it getting it published. So, in this particular study, and this is very interesting. This is by Elisa, my name. Uh-huh. Um, Kachikis, K-A-C-H-I-K-I-S-M-D-M-S, et al. Um, It was printed in the JAMA network open, meaning anybody can read it. I love that. I love that we are democratizing scientific information. I think it's critical because we're all in this together. Yes. Right. So in this particular study, it was a online prospective cohort study of adults, mainly in the U.S., who were pregnant, lactating, or planning pregnancy at the time of their vaccination. And basically what they looked at as, as of March 16th, again, this is a very early cohort and it's a very specific cohort. I think it was healthcare workers because in the very beginning, you only had older people and healthcare workers getting it. Yep. So they had 17,525 individuals. Um, And of this looking to see for the data here, there were three distinct groups, 7,809 who were pregnant that was almost half, 6,815 who were nursing, and 2,900 who were neither, but planning pregnancy in the near future. And most of them got the Pfizer or Moderna, which in general is true in America.
2: Yeah, and that's what was available really at the time.
1: Right. And there's a whole separate issue, i get to, of the J&J, hopefully, of why we don't have as many who had it and why... You don't have as much data on it, and that has to be, you know, taken into account if you wanted to get the vaccine, you know, while you were pregnant or breastfeeding and you wanted data. There will be less of something given less to people. Yes. At least in the United States. So what they found out from this large prospective cohort study, meaning they were going forward as opposed to a retrospective study, which, you know, this is gives us, I think, a higher quality of information than a retrospective when you go backwards.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
1: comparing different groups. And they found out that it was very well tolerated. Um, And again, people can look it up for the details. And again, this was primarily healthcare workers. So that, you know, it was a very specific group, but the bottom line is that the pregnant women um, were not showing a different set of side effects and it's a large group. So I thought that was a nice um, reassuring study on that particular topic.
2: Yes. Yes. Very, very good. Liked that. So, so back back to side
1: effects. I'm sorry.
2: Yes, go on, go on.
1: I just don't want to forget to, to mention that the J and J has the side effect of the blood clots, and you know what happened with that is it was picked up through the vaccine adverse you know um, reporting, and I think also our active database is called the Vaccine Safety Database and the vSafe Safe um, program. And they found there was an increased rate above the baseline, because that's one way, you know, if you're seeing more than you usually see, you say, hey, that's a signal. Very rare. And they pulled it from the market. And, you know, that was thought to be very cautious. But meanwhile, COVID was spreading. And not only were people not able to get the vaccine, despite it being a rare effect, it terrified people. So I don't think think we have as much
2: a little bit. I'm sorry. It it made things a little bit scary. It it made
1: it scary, but this is how we're learning We're my daughter hates when I say this over and over, but we're building the plane as we fly it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. We can't know rare effects. When we do a study on say 30,000 people, this was like one in a million or four in a million. It was like some.
2: Right. People are asking. They're like, there's not anything. There's no studies. There's not enough studies. There are studies. Everything is new because the disease just came out in 2019. It's only 2021 right now. I mean, this is not like, I don't know, law and order or something where kind of things move really fast. This is something that takes time and we're all in it together and we're all working together to kind of understand better how the disease itself works, how to protect the human race, how to protect each other. And how to prevent the further spread of disease.
1: Right. And I think it's also hard because once you know about these rare side effects, you may not perceive it as rare.
2: Right. So even if the Johnson and Johnson, when it had first come out with that side effects, was like, ended up being like a one in a million type of thing. Right. Or, you know, something like that. It it was still, it's still very stressful to hear that these type of things happen. And you don't want it to be you.
1: Right. But that's the thing is that I think people think and I've heard people say this, I'd rather not do something because if I give the vaccine and something bad happens, I'll never forgive myself. But if I just get COVID, well, I'll think, okay, I just got COVID. And that's called the omission bias. It's it's a logical fallacy. You know, we all use shortcuts to try to figure things out.
2: Yeah,
1: it is. It's very dangerous. And we're here to not, again, not to push the vaccine. You know, Joma's been criticized for pushing the vaccine. We do not push a vaccine. We offer information. So people can make intelligent risk benefit decisions. You you can't do that if you're getting skewed information, whether it's politically biased or because the concept of it bleeds, it leads on the media. It's not interesting. Like millions of people got the vaccine and they got a sore arm or even they got some swollen lymph nodes. Or it's even your periods got wonky. That's that's not so interesting. It really boring. isn't.
2: Boring. Boring. Right?
1: Yeah. So we're we're not going to hear all the good things the vaccine does or all the you know things it doesn't do.
2: Right. We have to look at the real numbers. The real numbers are so many people have gotten the vaccine and they are good. They're fine. They right. didn't really have a side effect. Maybe if they had fever fatigue, sore arm that's super common. We get that with most vaccines that we get anyway. Right. We move on and that's it. And we're protected.
1: Right. And it doesn't mean that there will be no, it. right. It doesn't mean that there'll be no more severe side effects than that. It just means that those more severe side effects will be rarer. And what you have to do is compare it to what COVID does. Because I, I still meet people who think I've never had COVID. I haven't had the vaccine they start knocking on wood. They all do that. They knock on wood. Knocking on wood is not going to keep you safe from COVID. And nor will taking vitamins, which is another hot thing that I think a lot of people think, I'll live healthy, I'll take vitamin D, you know, or even I'll take ivermectin or I'll take hydroxychloroquine. I mean, none of these, right, are proven strategies to avoid getting COVID or getting a less, more severe form of COVID. Right.
2: There's only one way.
1: Well, in a way, there's more than one way. I don't want to, I, I don't mean to keep being a devil's advocate here, but, you know, we are going to be completely honest and I'm sorry, I'm really... <laughs> the vaccine is not perfect. Right? And we have Swiss cheese. We've talked about the Swiss cheese, which is different mitigating approaches when there's a hole in one. I don't think Then there's other, I'm dying. that doesn't have the holes it's in the... It's,
2: it's because it's not just the vaccine, right? Even right. if we get the va- we still have to mask we still have to hand wash we still have to be smart We still have to social distance so that's my like one way but that's kind of what we all really still need to do no matter what
1: Um, But you know when we talk about these things how many people are going to roll their eyes at this point how many people we have been doing this for over 18 months you know, And I've heard people say we have to learn to live with COVID, and I actually use that for a topic of a talk that I have to rerecord, but whatever. <laughs> but learning to live with COVID doesn't mean at this point to not take it seriously. We hope someday that it will be like a cold or flu, but we're not there yet. Right. It's new to us. And not everybody is capable of mounting enough of a response so that it's mild. That's a big problem. So for all the people who say I didn't have any symptoms and I have antibodies or I just had a cold. Well, that's wonderful for you. But we had, I think, close to 630,000 people just in the United States alone die of COVID. Right? Our Our ICU beds are full. Children's ICU beds currently are full, which doesn't mean that children on the whole get very sick with COVID. Most of them do not. But when you're talking on a large scale, even a small percentage can overwhelm our health care. And once our healthcare is overwhelmed, you can't get good care when you have COVID. You can't get good care if you have something else. Right. I saw the saddest thing, a little boy with cancer sitting in um, his car, had fever and had, was under cancer treatment, meaning he was very vulnerable to serious infection. And there was no room in the pediatric ER for him to be evaluated yet. Because it was full of kids with COVID.
2: That's horrible.
1: Yes. So that's why we're not there yet. We're not just, it's just a cold, just catch it.
2: It's, you know, there's there's this number, like 99% of kids don't get COVID or 99% of people recover Mm -hmm. and 99% of people don't have severe disease and 99% of people are fine. But it's not 99%. It's just, That's just a number someone threw out at some point, and it's not accurate, and that's not what real life is, and that's not what the hospital is, and that's not what we're actually dealing with. It's really not 99%.
1: What are you seeing? Because, again, I'm a pediatrician, but you're an OB, so what are you seeing? With my patients with covid or from your colleagues, because I know you talk to a lot of other OBGYNs and
2: yeah, I do not as much. So I have OBGYN colleagues and, uh, and you know, um, friends that are in different fields of medicine and they're all over the country and we all talk. And um, in general, the COVID situation is bad. Having COVID during pregnancy is bad. There are women that are having miscarriages and what we call um, still, stillbirth um, as their pregnancies progress because of they're having COVID. And that leads to lack of oxygen. And lack of oxygen to mom leads to lack of oxygen to the baby. And that can cause miscarriage and stillbirth. Oh, so really
1: unfortunate. Yeah. I that that, actually these stories were what prompted this particular update. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and technically they're anecdotes. You know, I want to be very clear. The plural of anecdote is not data. I don't want to you know, just do anecdotes. That's why I pulled a bunch of studies. Um, But the problem is again, we're building the plane as we fly it. Um, It's happening in real life. So we may not have data about what's actually happening and Delta is changing the picture. I'm not sure if it's more severe or just so much more infectious and you're getting larger numbers. That's where you get to that 99% do fine problem that even 1% is a lot of people. And it's it's not 1% morbidity. It might be overall 1% death rate, you know, on the average, which is, first of all, much higher for more vulnerable people. Um, but it's also all the you know disease and, and disability that it causes. And that's not 1%. It's much more than that, whether it's long COVID.
2: Yeah. Hospitalization. Yes. Um, So last time in our podcast that uh, pregnancy is high risk for getting COVID and having severe COVID symptoms. We talked about it last time. It's not changed. It's still severe. It's still dangerous. Um, There are patients in the ICU who are on ventilators, who are pregnant, who are losing their pregnancies who are having c-sections in the icu not even in an operating room they're not awake for these things i mean it's just awful they don't get to meet their children and some of these children that are being born are being orphaned so um it's 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 horrific it's horrific what we're talking about and you know last time we really tried to keep it just the facts and just what's you know going on and and um not really discuss things that are more difficult, but um, I don't know if you could tell, but it's, it's difficult for me to talk yeah. about because yeah. it's upsetting to hear that people that we're taking care of, that our job is to protect these moms and these babies are getting sick. And you know, there's a possibility that it didn't have to be this way.
1: Right. Because at this point, you know, we have the vaccine and it was one thing in January when it first came out and it wasn't studied on pregnant women. And it was so much uncertainty. But the more, you know, good evidence that of safety, not 100 percent, but a lot of safety we have for pregnant women. And the more we see Delta spread. Right. And just get everything that's not nailed down. It's so painful because it is preventable. Have you seen or heard of any pregnant women who were vaccinated in the ICU?
2: No, no. Um, um, Everything has been um, pregnant women who have not been vaccinated. Um, But I will also say that there are pregnant women who have not been vaccinated, got COVID, and then got the vaccine later on in their pregnancy and are doing well. Right,
0: right. And of course,
1: there's women who get COVID while pregnant who do fine, right? I mean, we're not talking 100%. Let me just read from the um, Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, just to put it in context. Um, it says here, though the absolute risk for severe morbidity and mortality remains low for, for dying or for getting very sick for it. In other words, we're not going to say it's 100% at all. It's, you know, Most women will do okay while pregnant, even if they have COVID, but- there was three times the risk for icu admission two almost two and a half times the risk for needing ecmo which is that bypass we talked about the last time and i you know i've seen that happen it's horrible and a 1.7 times increased risk of death due to covid-19 compared with symptomatic non-pregnant patients that's really scary and now we have a vaccine which we know more about not 100% not 100% certainty but way more and again it's being given all over the world, so even if I can't give you studies that show, you know, 300 million people have been vaccinated, and this is what the number of what happened to them, even if I don't have that, you know, granular data with large numbers to give you, this cannot be happening all over the world. Nobody's hiding anything here. The very fact that we talk so openly about even serious adverse effects, which are rare, shows that we're all being transparent. There's, there's nothing being hidden. It can't be hidden. Yeah.
2: yeah. The hospitals are overwhelmed, the ICUs are at capacity, and it's just all over again, something that, you know, we really wish wasn't happening. Um, and it's, it's just very, very difficult to talk about. I mean, we talked about my experience with COVID um, over a year ago, and we said, you know, I mean, I survived it. Does that mean I'm not going to get the vaccine? I still got the vaccine. Because in the end, I don't want to bring it home, right? Even if you're vaccinated, you could still carry the um, the disease. You could still carry the virus. Um, and we still have to be careful. We have to keep, keep making sure that we mask up, that we wash our hands. Um, because our kids can't get vaccinated as of yet. We just don't want to infect them.
1: Right. And another hot topic is um, people who've already had COVID because, you know, a significant percentage of our population had COVID. And some of them have been vaccinated and some of them have been not vaccinated. And so they ask a very reasonable question. What's the rate of reinfection versus the rate of breakthrough infection from the vaccine? And that's a reasonable question. It may not be so easy to answer with any degree of certainty for a number of reasons. And I think that's where you have to be really careful about what you see in the media. There have been a bunch of preprints, meaning studies that have not gone through peer review. Right. Right. And like I went through one with my dad. Correct
2: research to look at. Yes. Right.
1: Yes, you have to know what you're looking at. And yet the studies you know, were used yeah. in the media to show, okay, natural infection is way better. And so we really have to talk about natural infection. And I think first, it's fair to say that When we spoke in January, we did not know as much as we know now about the robustness of natural infection immunity. We do know now that it seems to be in a lot of people, but not all people. And I think people have to be careful about measuring their antibodies to see if they're still immune. And I've said this in the last talk, I'm saying it again that we do not have an exact correlative protection. There are people who've gotten reinfected with their antibodies still being positive because you need the right antibodies. What are so called neutralizing antibodies? And as of yet, that is not commercially available. So I had did not have COVID. I had the vaccine, and I don't ask why I measured my antibodies. I was told not to, and I promptly ignored it. After as long as it wasn't zero, because I don't know what that number means. <laughs> right? Am I so stupid? I think as I'm
2: alluded gonna- to kind of be like curious. I measured mine too, and then they went down. Like, but what does that mean? It's down <laughs> really seven right before. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but. I, for you know, they measured it when I was going into labor and then I checked it again, you know, at a physical and I was just like, let me just see where we're up to. But but what does that mean? Doesn't mean anything. Right. right? And
1: our immune system is much more complex. Your immune system is much more complex. You can have memory B cells with waning antibodies. You can have other kinds of immunity, T cells, innate immunity. It's very complicated. And again, you have a lot of uncertainty and to try to use one number, an antibody test. To give right. you certainty, it's a false sense of certainty. So when I was calling myself stupid, it's because I talk about this all the time and I know better. And so I promptly said, good, it's not zero. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not going mean, to change. My
2: sister-in-law is an infectious disease doctor at Yale. And she said, do not check your antibodies. And right. I was like, I'm just curious.
1: <laughs> right, so there's a very rational That's question right. So, right, so first of all, I just want to say that when people talk about natural immunity being better, it's either it should be talked about the you know post facto as opposed to le beforehand, that there are people who are saying, "I don't want to get the vaccine because I'll get a stronger antibody response if I get the natural disease. If you didn't get it yet, it is risky. It is way riskier than the vaccine. That's the whole point of the vaccine is to give you a controlled, careful, right. safer not 100% safe, but safer way to be able to fight COVID than all the problems with the disease. And I've heard people think that, oh, vaccination, it's got stuff in it. It's like dirty. And my perspective is the disease is dirty.
2: It's a virus.
1: Yeah. definition
2: of germ, no? Ew. Did I miss something?
1: Right? I mean, when they talk about spike proteins from the vaccine, which is a very controlled into your muscle goes away. It's that Snapchat we talked about versus your whole body filling up with spike proteins from the virus that's multiplying all over your body. I mean, to me, it's no question, but again, once you've had it, that's a different question. So when it comes to vaccinating someone who's pregnant, who had COVID already, um, I think that that's a different risk benefit ratio. Mm
2: -hmm. I'm
1: not saying not to do it. And again, we are not giving medical advice here.
2: Right. It's definitely a conversation to have with your doctor. Yes. Um, I have this conversation with my patients multiple times a day. We talk about the COVID vaccine all day long because it's something that needs to be addressed. It needs to be talked about. I give out the JOMA website for more information. You know, we we kind of need to have this conversation so that people get comfortable talking about it. People get comfortable asking their questions, Mm -hmm. you know, and people get comfortable realizing that the more people that get the vaccine, um, the more information we have. And the safer it is for everyone.
0: Right.
1: What are your thoughts on vaccinating people with women with prior COVID who are pregnant? I know that's a very specific subgroup. I'm just curious.
2: Um, From what we're seeing now, they are still recommending to um, give the vaccine. And the reason would
1: be? Um,
2: There has been some. There's. There was a study that I saw, and I can't remember off the top of my head right now, that showed that the immune response from the vaccine was actually better than the natural immune response.
1: I think it's about the Kentucky study from the CDC.
2: Was it the Kentucky study? Yeah. yeah. So I think that that is kind of what they're using. Um, But either way, having more of an immune response or having those antibodies that kind of last longer is kind of what we... Are looking for in order to protect our patients.
1: So it's interesting that you say that because I get nervous when we, I call it, propagandize the vaccine. They have to be very careful to not overstate it. I think that was one of the big problems. Like I said earlier, when we we said, "Oh, the COVID vaccine is ninety five percent da 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 da," and it's going to prevent spread, and it turns out it didn't prevent somebody from catching it and spreading it to others. We now know that to be true. And again if they had come out and said from the beginning here's your expectations it's going to minimize not de- completely eliminate severe disease hospitalization and death and you still can get it but it'll mitigate it for you it'll make it less severe then we wouldn't right. be going oh my god this doesn't even work which people are saying right it's it not true that it doesn't work
2: expectations. we have to know what we're looking for what are we what are we looking for so we're looking for something where You're not getting the horrible side effects of COVID. You're not in the ICU. You're not on a ventilator. You're not, you know, um, having trouble breathing. You're not having organ failure. You're not having all this other stuff that can go along with COVID. And, you know, you're you're protected from, from those severe, severe side effects of having the disease with the vaccine. Um, is the vaccine 100% perfect at pre- uh, preventing um, people from getting COVID? No. Are they um, better at preventing people from getting severe disease, from ending up in the ICU, from dying? Yes. And that's that's the important thing to to expect. That's right. the expectation to have.
1: Right. And I think, you know, we're, a lot of us are spreading the information from Israel, as has been putting out a lot of data um, and you have to be really careful because it depends on how you um, frame the data. So what they should be doing is per hundred thousand population, because when you have a highly vaccinated population, if almost everybody's vaccinated, then you can actually have this crazy situation where more people get the disease who are vaccinated than unvaccinated. And that looks to the regular person's eye as it doesn't work. That's called the base rate fallacy. You have to look at well, how many people are vaccinated? And you also have to look at risk factors. So if you compare a group and one group is very young and very healthy and unvaccinated, they could easily do better than a vaccinated elderly or immune compromised population. Right. And so that's what's happening in Israel. And they give you the raw numbers. It may look like, oh my gosh, there's all these people in the ICU who were vaccinated and they may be all above 80 years old or whatever. Um, So, you know, anybody who wants to can subscribe to the EMA um, it's from uh, Dr. Eliana Aaron, who is a nurse practitioner in Israel and has this um, program for um, students, American students who are in Israel. And she has all these WhatsApp groups and I'm on it. And she shares the data. And once they started putting up per 100,000 population, you could see the vast majority, per 100,000 population in the ICU, severely ill-hospitalized, are unvaccinated.
2: And that's the major, major point. Right. Being unvaccinated puts people at risk for all of these other ICU, other side effects of COVID, long COVID, all that stuff. That's, that's the whole message that I think we should try and, and, and get out there, is, is what's the difference between getting vaccinated versus getting COVID? And right. I'll say it again, what's worse, getting vaccinated Versus getting
1: COVID, no question, it's getting COVID. And and back to people who prior had prior COVID. I think the reason to vaccinate even pregnant women with prior COVID is because that immune response to prior COVID is variable. You can't point to that individual and say we have a way of knowing that your immunity to COVID is going to last through Delta. And we do have some studies showing we have some data coming out of Israel showing a significant uptick in reinfections in the general unvaccinated population, which is a smaller percent because a lot of adult Israel is vaccinated, but we're still seeing a significant increase. That's like more than half the reinfections reported in Israel have been reported in the month of August. Like that's a very rapid increase in reinfection. Even if it is objectively a small number, I don't want to be manipulative here. It is still considered to be uncommon to be reinfected. Although it may be hard to know since most reinfections will be at the mildest end and may be asymptomatic and People may not be as willing to get tested because they may think, hey, I had it already, um, which can also be true for people who had vaccines. I'm also hearing people who had vaccines who don't want to be tested, to be right. fair. Right. Um, but that's that's really important, important to keep in mind. Right.
2: Right. I mean, if there's no harm in being tested. There's no harm in knowing. Right. Knowledge is power. And I think that, you know, these webinars, these podcasts that you're doing. I mean, it's just really helping people get that knowledge um from the correct sources right. in order to make the decision that's right for them.
1: Right. And not to be misled. It's so important to go to good sources. There's also Johns Hopkins, Mayo Clinic. Um I'm afraid to see the CDC, even though there's a lot of good information. I know a lot of people don't trust them and their messaging has been um less than ideal. <laughs> but, <laughs> I
2: was like I'm gonna keep my mouth shut.
1: I know it's also, by the way, I shouldn't say this, but it's like going to the DMV. <laughs> it's so hard to find things on.
2: It's a surgeon to me. Sometimes I have to just be quiet. Otherwise I'll be too blunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But ACOG, you know, the ACOG, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine on this topic is excellent. I've given a couple studies. Um, we've been talking about this. I also want to mention that there are comorbidities, right? Yeah. You might want to mention what are their comorbidities of, of pregnant women that would make them at even higher risk for severe outcomes with covid
2: so um women who are pregnant in general are at increased risk of, of having COVID and having those adverse outcomes. Um obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, I mean the usual um problems really do put people at risk. People who have asthma um or other pulmonary disease are at higher risk of, of adverse outcomes in pregnancy. I mean These are just, these are just to name a few. Um, We know that ACOG does recommend um, that uh, pregnant individuals be vaccinated against COVID-19. I'm just reading off their website. ACOG recommends that lactating individuals be vaccinated against COVID-19. It says... ACOG strongly recommends that all eligible persons receive a COVID-19 vaccine or vaccine series. Um, What else? Pregnancy testing is not a requirement prior to receiving any emergency use authorized approved COVID-19 vaccine. Claims linking COVID-19 vaccines to infertility are unfounded and have no scientific evidence supporting them. That's it. ACON recommends vaccination for all eligible people who may consider future pregnancy.
1: Right. But you know, it always boils down to to quote Paul Off, it, it's easier to scare people than unscare people. And I did a talk with Dr. Jonathan Howard in August of 2020 before the vaccines came out. And we already said they're going to say infertility, they're going to maybe we didn't say that, but we, we knew that, but they're going to say long-term effects. Right. And when they say long-term effects, by definition, they're saying I don't want it for five to ten years. I want to wait for five to ten years of data.
2: That sounds, that sounds.
1: That sounds theoretically like sensible. Like I want good data, but no, you're facing COVID right now.
2: But then what? That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, right. okay, <laughs> if we're all still here in five to ten years,
1: right? You're facing the disease while you're waiting to make that decision. And again, we're making risk-benefit decisions with a lot of uncertainty. Not as much as before. And we do have some studies, and we're doing it all over the world, and we're we're, we're getting data. It
0: is happening, and looking. And it's looking really good. Um,
1: (laughs) It's looking really good. You know, we really have to talk about that's very important is monoclonal antibodies, because one thing that we came further along in since we spoke in January is monoclonal antibodies. And listen, we're not here to push the vaccine. There may be people who listen to this and say, I'm not comfortable. I've even heard of the side effects. I don't want to take a risk. That's your choice. Right, we're offering information. It's your choice. I do this all the time as a pediatrician. I offer information. I don't shove it down people's throats. I don't judge them. Um, So, monoclonal antibodies, even if you're not going to get the COVID vaccine, or even if you're pregnant and you did get it, you are still, they don't consider vaccination status. We know that you can have breakthroughs. Right. Even though we don't have data on that specifically in pregnant women. Um, I don't know why you couldn't, especially for people who were vaccinated earlier. you can get monoclonal antibodies. It is more widely available. It right. is allowable. I don't know what the recommendations are in that,
0: though.
2: I the think ACS. there's still not enough info. I think we we wanted to bring it up last time, um, and there's still just not enough uh, information right now. Um, it's just not study. I'm looking at um, some studies right now, but they're not. We don't know.
1: Right. This is something to make the decision, you know, with your healthcare professional. There's also the COVID Plasma Initiative people who have now pivoted to monoclonal antibodies. Um, I'm sure they can be found online. I don't have the number in front of me.
2: Um, ACOG says, um, here we go. Uh, Various monoclonal antibody treatments are available only under emergency use authorization. They are recommended for the treatment of outpatients with mild to moderate COVID-19 infection who are at high risk of clinical progression as defined by the EUA criteria. Pregnancy is included among the conditions that put individuals at high risk for clinical progression. This makes patients with pregnancy as their only risk factor eligible to receive outpatient monoclonal antibodies, according to the EUA.
1: Yes, thank you. I'm looking for my COVID plasma initiative um, number, but I can't find it right now, but there is um, a way to reach them. And that is one way, or just ask your healthcare professional. But you know, I, I think we need to have a low um, threshold for that, particularly for, for women who haven't been vaccinated. Um, and it has to be given early. It has to be given early if it's going to be given. Again, we don't have so much data to say you know, how effective it is. But again, we know that women who are pregnant are at high risk. And so we want to have that option out there.
2: Oh, so um, makes sense? another thing I wanted to mention, yes. Um, during pregnancy, you know, we have flu season coming back up. We also mm-hmm. give out the uh, whooping cough shot, the Tdap vaccine. Um, so I just want to say um, from the ACOG website as well, Uh, There is no evidence that vaccination with either the influenza vaccine or Tdap vaccine increases a pregnant woman's or fetus's risk of infection with or complications from the virus that causes COVID-19. We'll we'll just have that out there. Those are the normal vaccines that we give during pregnancy. Excellent. They should still be given.
1: Perfect timing as flu vaccine is out now for a lot of practices. Um, I want to mention a couple more studies one of them is preliminary findings of mRNA, COVID-19 vaccine safety in pregnant persons. Um, this is Tom T. Shimabukuro from the New England Journal of Medicine. This was April 21st, 2021. Um, and this talks about looking at the V-safe registry. Um, they were, there was a V-safe registry that had um, over 35,000 pregnant women enrolled which is a ton, a ton, and it was a subcategory of the V-safe pregnancy registry, which is people, I guess, willing to do all that, filling in surveys and online or whatever, is a much smaller group of 3,958, and actually, I'm reading this, but this is actually uh, yeah, no, this is the same thing. Sorry, um, this is the study where they talked about the 827 completed pregnancies, and unfortunately, there is a specific piece of misinformation about this New England Journal of Medicine study. Do you hear this one?
2: Go ahead. You want me to do it? You do it. You <laughs> so the, the
1: the piece of misinformation that's being spread around is that 827, and they played games with the numbers. Um, this was done in the first three months of this specific V-safe pregnancy registry. And they only looked at what happened within the first three months after vaccination. So the pregnancies that were completed in those first three months that were given early on were clearly early losses. That's what they were. So they calculate 82% were a miscarriage rate, which is not the correct denominator. The correct denominator would be all the women who were pregnant and vaccinated in that cohort. Correct. They didn't use that number, though. In their calculations, they used the A27, which is very confusing. So the people who quote that are kind of finding an error in this paper, to be fair. yeah,
2: yeah. To be fair. It was wrong. wrong.
1: It was wrong. It was wrong. But still, it's not that they were trying to trick people and that there was some secret high miscarriage or early loss rate. There has not been. Not in the small group and not in the larger group of the vSAFE registry. These are active databases where we're looking. So anybody who wants to can can go to that study and the preliminary conclusions where there are no obvious safety signals among pregnant persons who received mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. But of course, we need more long-term follow-up. This was just April. Very, very early. Our talk was in January. This was the first three months in that time period. It's very preliminary, but it's very reassuring. And be very careful when you hear these studies being distorted like that. And again, if you ever have a question, hey, I read there's an 82% miscarriage rate from um this New England Journal of Medicine study, it goes straight to Vaxopedia, V-A-X-O-P-E-D-I-A. That is a great resource. It's like the Wikipedia of vaccine misinformation. I and you will it. find out, yes, you will find out exactly what how that was distorted in a way, probably better than I could explain. Um, there's also a brand new hot off the press study, safety of the BNT162b2mRNA, which is the Pfizer vaccine, in a nationwide setting, with Noam Barda, B-A-R-D-A-L, in the New England Journal of Medicine, August 25th, 2021. Today's the 31st, so it is super hot <laughs> off the press. I'm very That's excited about bad. this one. Plus, it's from Israel. Go, Israel. Yay. And um, again, people can read it. I'm not really doing deep dives into any of this. You've been very patient. I told you it'd be shorter online. light. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I meant just to be Sorry sure. I didn't
2: I mean it. Oh, good. There's too um, many things covered. There's none of that. I
1: know. I know. We thought it would just be a simple update, but yeah, I had eight papers in front of me. Um, <laughs> so what the results were. I think they're at, legit, right? They're legit papers. I got a couple more. Um, I just want to put these <laughs> out there. I just want to throw them out there so people can look them up. People who are data walks, they want to look them up. They can. Um, what they were doing is they looked at these huge huge database from their um, population of healthcare facilities, and they had an average of eight hundred and eighty four thousand eight hundred and twenty eight people in their vaccinated and control groups that is huge it's and like again it's it 's retrospective we're looking backwards the databases, yeah. which is not a prospective controlled randomized blah 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 um but they, what they saw that was interesting is that, and very important for people to know, is that while there are side effects of the vaccine, including that myocarditis, um, which I've discussed in other podcasts exactly what that means, please listen to Nothing is Risk-Free with Dr. Gregory Poland for a deeper dive into the myocarditis risk in greater detail. They found 2.7 events of myocarditis in vaccinated people per 100,000 people, but that compared to... Uh, 11.0 events per 100,000 people in the um, unvacc- um, unvaccinated in people who had COVID. So they had a risk ratio of 18 something with myocarditis in COVID versus a risk ratio of three. So that's six times higher. That's been the calculation. And again, this is not set in stone. There can be errors in this calculation, but basically it's multifold higher to get myocarditis from the illness. So when you're saying I'm comparing... The vaccine to the illness, which is the correct risk-benefit, risk-risk risk comparison, it is clearly higher to get myocarditis from the virus than from the vaccine. And basically, they found tons of all of these other serious adverse effects from COVID, which is what we've been saying all along, and not nearly as much from the vaccine. So the vaccine, while not being risk-free, is much lower risk than COVID itself.
2: That's the best best line. That is the best line, right? It's
1: perfect. It's perfect. Right? We've been saying that all along, that's, that's, now we have, now we have actual data. Um, another study is we didn't talk about um, breastfeeding women, which is a whole separate topic. I might leave that off. Um, other than I can tell you that my patients, um, my parents, my practice are often saving their breast milk to give to their older kids. They're so excited that they have antibodies once they've been vaccinated. That. What what that does, whether it's broken down by the gut, whether it's not really useful, I don't know. I don't think we have good data to be honest. However, however, it won't what? hurt.
2: It won't <laughs> hurt, and it might help. It, exactly, exactly. Um, they were saying it's an IGA mm-hmm. um, antibody um, as opposed to IgG. But I, I had mentioned in the previous one that I got the vaccine while I was breastfeeding. I couldn't get it while I was pregnant because the vaccine didn't come out yet, but just to set the timeline there. Um, But I got the vaccine while I was breastfeeding um, and I just felt really great about it. But um, I think it's a, it's something that um, some women do feel more comfortable waiting to get the vaccine until they give birth. But we just don't know if those antibodies will go to the baby.
1: You mean the antibodies when you're vaccinated while pregnant? Because that's a separate question. And I did find something on that. I found two things. Because um, we talked about it the last time. We said, well, what if someone gets pre- is pregnant and they get COVID while they're pregnant? Do they pass antibodies to their baby? And the answer is, yes, they do. Yeah. Whether that's long lasting, it's a passive transfer. It doesn't mean your baby now has had the equivalent of COVID. Right. Right. It's probably going to be lost in the first you know six months or so. But that question has been answered by a study. That study was... Let me find it. Assessment of maternal and neonatal cord blood, SARS-CoV-2 antibodies and placental transfer ratios from JAMA Pediatrics. Again, these are available online for free. Dustin D. Flannery et al. And this was from uh, January 2021. So very, very early. And they did find well early in terms of the vaccine. It wasn't about vaccine. It was about COVID. And they did find that the maternal IgG does cross the placenta. And it's found in the cord blood. Um, Again, not a reason to get COVID while you're pregnant at all. There's not a question
2: about the risk. The risk risk is much higher than the benefit. The risk is too high. Right, right.
1: But but I want to be fair and give information and not try to, I'm not trying to bang people on the head with vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. And I'm not saying, oh, well, look, there's a benefit. Therefore you should get it. I'm just saying we had a question and that was answered. Right. Right. And again, that's not permanent. People who think they're giving their baby their breast milk or getting COVID vaccine while they're pregnant, you're also not giving permanent immunity right. to your baby. That doesn't I mean, work it's like that.
2: Just like the TDAP vaccine during pregnancies because right. the baby can't get their TDAP until uh, whenever they can get it. Right. Uh, you know, so we're just trying to protect the baby for that period of time, um, right, in that newborn period.
1: Right. So then the question is well, what about vaccinating? And here's a study. Coronavirus disease, 2019 vaccine response in pregnant and lactating women, a cohort study. This was Catherine J. Gray and others from AJOG, um, March, 2021. And this is a very tiny study because again, the vaccine was, was early, just out there. And they looked at pregnant and breastfeeding and non-pregnant women in a very small but prospective cohort study. And they did find that There was transmission of the antibodies um, to the babies when the mother was vaccinated while pregnant. I don't think that it's going to be the same which part of the pregnancy you're vaccinated in. Right. Um, I don't think that's a reason to, say, wait to the last trimester. Right.
2: Because pregnancy is high risk the whole time.
1: Right. Or you could get vaccinated before you're pregnant if you're able to. Because it doesn't cause fertility problems.
2: Say what? <laughs> louder for the
1: people in the back.
2: It doesn't
1: <laughs> cause fertility problems, and I but, have
2: but it. And it doesn't mutate your DNA. And okay. it does
1: not enter your DNA. We went over that. That whole Snapchat thing. People should listen to our first talk. We're not repeating it, um, except when we really have to. <laughs> So here's another one.
2: Actually, mostly new information. This is good,
1: right? Well, that was the point. Very
2: good.
1: That was the, yeah. Well, thank you to Dr. Elissa Helma Marciano, who came in in the pinch because this is kind of last minute and sent me all these articles. I
2: love
1: her. Um, yeah, she's amazing. So this is an interesting study. This is pregnancy and birth outcomes after SARS-CoV-2 vaccination in pregnancy by Reagan R e g a n T h e i l e r Thieler. Again, a free article. On PubMed. I found this on PubMed. And it says they had 2002 patients, tiny, again, relatively speaking. When I say 2002, 140 got the COVID vaccine while pregnant, 212 got COVID. So 140 got the vaccine, 212 of that cohort actually got COVID both while pregnant. Um, and they found unsurprisingly um, that the vaccinated pregnant women in this birth cohort were not as likely to get COVID. Well, pregnant um which is what you expect um but it's nice to hear that it, it worked for them in this tiny little study um but it's nice you know it's a nice that's little what yeah.
0: that's what we want yep
1: and again we have to understand that this is still very new we're only like eight months out and that's it on my study pile
2: yay
1: finished my study pile Um we talked a little bit about the breastfeeding. Anything else that we should talk about for now?
2: Um no, not I think we're good. Um definitely it does not cause infertility. As OBGYNs, we do not want people to be infertile, you know.
1: Put you out of business. Well, except for the fertility docs.
2: Except for the fertility docs, but there's more regular OBGYNs. Right. <laughs> so we like our jobs. We want to keep doing them. We want to, you know, bring your babies into the world. Like this is what we live for. So we do not want people to be infertile.
1: Actually, the opposite is true for the fertility doctors. They would also even more so.
2: They have been recommending getting the vaccine.
1: Right. But their motivation is not to have more patients coming to them because they're infertile. Their mission is to help people have babies.
2: Their their job is to get people pregnant. So. Right. You know they're they're not looking for anyone to not be able to get pregnant. They want people to have all of the babies. We want right. to see those babies and we want everyone to be healthy.
1: Men, yes, we do. So thank you so much, especially last minute, and especially for the third time counting that but addendum. It's
2: important, it's important, so we important because it's information out there.
1: So important. Thank you so much and Tova.
2: You too, Tova. Thanks
0: for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J O W M A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org. Thank you.